This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, as you undoubtedly know by now, uh, we have been playing with this like sort of 365-day dy- dynamic approach to aquariums with our urban agapo idea. I've been ramming that up your behinds for months, I know, and teasing you and so forth. I suppose that on the surface, it's hardly an earth-shattering approach. The, the whole idea is you set up an aquarium, you don't fill it immediately with water. Rather, you grow some terrestrial plants and grasses and uh, allow them to take hold and then you bring on the rainy season. After a few months, you begin drawing down the water significantly, ultimately returning it to its dry state again. <laughs> Repeat as desired. Now, perhaps it's time to loosen the chains of conventional aquarium practice and look towards some largely unexplored waters, right? Could there be something gained by modeling our aquariums after natural habitats during different times of the year? Some benefits for our fishes and other organisms if we want to uh, nurture uh, them with, with these types of environments? I think so. I just think it would be kind of cool to model our aquariums after typical environments as they look and function at different times of the year. We've already touched on the flooded Igapo forests in Brazil in which the forest floor becomes seasonally inundated by overflowing streams and rivers. It's an amazingly dynamic habitat that I'm glad we're starting to see more interest in. Yet I wondered for years how interesting it would be to take this idea even further and create an aquarium around the seasonal changes in the habitat. You know with more shallow water levels, a greater ratio of botanicals and substrate to water, different temperatures, lighting, all kinds of stuff. That was the basis of my urban agapo idea. Starting out with a dry terrestrial habitat and gradually flooding it to simulate the seasonal inundations which these habitats go through annually. I've done this whole cycle now something like, I think around 13, 14 times in three different aquariums, nuancing various aspects like soil composition, planting, and fish stocking along the way. It's become one of my fave little pet projects, and I hope to see more of you playing with the idea more. I think it's not only simply an enjoyable hobby within a hobby. It's a dynamic that we can and should learn more about as aquarium hobbyists. When we flood and desiccate an aquarium attempting to replicate this cycle, we have to learn a number of different dynamics, ranging from varying levels of nutrients to nitrogen cycle management to stocking with fishes and other organisms. The seasonal dynamic is broad-reaching and multifaceted in the aquarium, just as it is in nature. Seasonal change is hugely impactful in tropical regions. The wet season in the Amazon, for example, runs November to June, and it rains almost every day. And what's really interesting is that the surrounding Amazon rainforest is estimated by some scientists to create as much as 50% of its own precipitation. Think about that for a moment. It does this via the humidity present in the forest itself, from the water vapor present on plant leaves which contributes to the formation of rain clouds. That's crazy. Yeah, trees in the Amazon release enough moisture through photosynthesis to create low-level clouds and literally generate rain, according to a study recently published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in the United States. That's crazy. But it makes a lot of sense, right? Yet another reason why we need to protect these precious habitats. When you cut down a tree in the Amazon, you're literally reducing the amount of rain that can be produced. Crazy but true. It's that simple. 
That's really important. It's more than just a cool cocktail party soundbite. So what happens to the aquatic environment in which our fishes live when it rains? What does the rain actually do to that environment? Well, for one thing, rain performs the dual function of diluting organics while transporting more nutrient and materials across the ecosystem. What happens in many regions of Amazonia, for example, is the evolution of our most compelling environmental niches. The water levels in the, in the rivers rise significantly, often several meters, and once the dry forest floor fills with water from the torrential rain and overflowing rivers and streams, the agapos are formed. Flooded forest floors. I keep mentioning this over and over and over again because it's amazing. The formerly terrestrial environment is now transformed into sort of an earthy, twisted, incredibly rich aquatic habitat which fishes have evolved over eons to live in and utilize for food, protection, and spawning areas. All of the botanical materials, grasses, fallen leaves, branches, seed pods, and such, is suddenly submerged. Currents redistribute the leaves and seed pods and branches into little pockets and stands, affecting the now underwater topography of the landscape. Leaves begin to accumulate. Soils dissolve their chemical constituents, tannins, hum and humic acids into the water, enriching it. Fungi and microorganisms begin to feed and break down the materials. Biofilms form, crustaceans multiply rapidly. Some robust varieties of grasses hang on for extended periods of time during the inundation. Others go into a sort of dormant phase, browning out and awaiting the time when the waters will recede and once again turn the agapo into a terrestrial forest floor. In this rich, highly dynamic environment, the fishes are able to find new food sources, new hiding places, new areas to spawn. Life simply flourishes. Each time I flood my urban agapo systems, I'm utterly fascinated by how life manages to sort it out, not only to make it through, but to thrive. It's really cool to see many microorganisms swimming around in the aquarium, obviously feeding among the submerged grasses and materials. Now, of course, I'll be the first to tell you that what you get out of this process is not what I'd ever label as a conventional aquarium system. Because of the high level of nutrients, the dense uh, growth of terrestrial grasses and plants and the really rich terrestrial soil. It's certainly not a recipe for an aquascaping contest winner. And yet, it's not intended to be. This is not just about cool Instagram-ready aesthetics. Sure, these urban agapo systems look very cool. And yeah, they're pretty damn shareable on social media, I'll give you that much. However, it's much more than that. The focus here is on studying the function and dynamics of this unique environment in the aquarium. If you're only looking for perfect static aesthetics, you're bound to be ultimately disappointed because just like in nature, the terrestrial plants will ultimately slip into a dormant phase where they aren't all that crisp and green. They become stringy, limp, and even brown over time. That being said, I personally find this look kind of cool. I think you might too when this is considered in context. Now again, this is easily confused with, and I suppose comparable to a dry start planted aquarium or the Wallstead method on a superficial level. However, remember that we're talking about terrestrial plants and grasses as well as soils without any kind of soil or sand cap, excuse me. Now, sure, you can utilize some emergent tolerant aquatic plants in your urban agapo. I've done this a few times with great success and they have the added benefit that they typically look as good in the terrestrial phase as they do in the aquatic phase. Of course, you can also use riparium type plants like sedges and such, which can tolerate or even require immersion in very moist soils for long-term health and growth. Some species of these plants are indeed found in such temporal environments in nature, so it goes without saying that you should experiment with them in the aquarium too. Now sure, playing with this type of setup brings together hobbyists from a number of different disciplines, vivarium, terrarium people, uh, planted tank enthusiasts, botanical style aquarium lovers, hey that's us, <laughs> etc. Now sure, each party will have their own unique take on this process as well as accompanying criticisms of the processes and management involved.
However, putting it all together is a really fun process. All sorts of fun variations are possible. Remember, it's not about trying to please some contest judge with an absolutely perfect biotopic representation or ratio-compliant aquascape or whatever. Nope, nope, nope. It's about experimentation, studying, observing, and replicating a natural process in the aquarium to the best of our capabilities. Artistic liberties are not only possible, they're welcome. So many iterations, interpretations, and experiments are possible here. And of course, it's not just about the Amazonian habitats. There's numerous other habitats around the world that are suitable for the same kind of simulations. We've talked about this before. What about a vernal pool in Africa that houses annual killifish? Could lowering the water levels significantly at various times of the year perhaps trigger specific behaviors related to the onset of the dry season? We already have a good handle on the spawning of annual killifishes like Nothobranchius and such and how CO2 and variables like that affect egg viability, development, and hatching times, a concept known as diapause. But I wonder if we can gain even more insight into the fishes themselves by gradually decreasing water levels to stimulate the seasonal change. Or perhaps even changing food sources to simulate the varying resources which are available during different seasons. I've personally played with a group of South American annual killifishes, Nothalibius minimus campo grande, in one of my recent Varzea uh, versions, which the Varzea is a different soil formulation than I use in the Agapa representation. Anyway, I've had them spawn like crazy, and the tank is currently in its dry season phase, allowing the eggs to incubate in the soil. The idea being, of course, that the eggs will hatch and the resulting fry can be raised in the now inundated aquatic habitat. There's so many fishes which could benefit from such replications. Lots of possibilities. Not just annual fishes and killifishes. Things like zebra daniels, which move from various flooded rice paddies to various streams throughout the year. Um, I've also played with a the sort of a pantanal-type simulation in which I used a mix of terrestrial grasses, weeds, and even some dead pieces of roots to recreate that look, the richness, and the function of this unique habitat. It's an altogether unconventional aesthetic and a most counterintuitive aquarium, rich, sediment-laden, tinted, and turbid. It's a relatively high-nutrient tank, but one in which the fishes utterly thrived. Yeah, the urban agapo idea is one that we can all play with on many levels. There's so much to learn and all sorts of fun experiments to do. Now, the number one question we're asked here at Tannin is when are we going to be releasing these urban agapo nature-based soils that we uh, play with? When are we going to be releasing those for sale? The answer is very, very soon, I promise. We're just working out a few final details on this stuff. We will be releasing these soils in small batches, not unlike the way gourmet coffee roasters do. We're not going to have each formula you know, available in huge quantities immediately. And there's several reasons for this. Number one, it's literally hand-mixed, and at the present time, it's a bit of a tedious process for us. We're not geared up to be a big factory, uh, and again, that's not something we ever want to do. In addition, the soils are not intended, at least in the initial releases, initial phases, to be used in large aquariums. I want to perfect this a little more. I want to see you play with this before we scale this up to 50-gallon aquariums. We're deliberately going to be offering relatively small packages of the materials in order for hobbyists to use them in nano-style aquariums. The reason being that the dynamic is easier to recreate and manage in a smaller system. Also, smaller batches and package sizes will give the largest number of you know, fellow hobbyists the opportunity to play with this stuff in the initial phases, and that's really important. Now, there's going to be three different nature-based formula na- formulas initially. Boy, did I botch that. Let me, let me start over. There's going to be three different nature-based formulations initially. Uh, Igapo, Varzea, and Mangal, which is brackish. Each will be different in formulas, uh, formulation and in appearance as well. Each little recipe has been tested and used here for some time with you know, great results. Each one can still be refined significantly based on your feedback. 
That's part of the fun of this, a sort of open source project that we can all have some input on. It won't be perfect. However, it will be cool. Eventually, if these prove popular, we'll market larger sizes and you know quantities of these soils for larger tanks and more experimentation. And it'll be you know economies of scale. Obviously, the price will go down. We will also have some additional additives, like special mixtures of crushed botanicals, leaves, twigs, seed, grass seeds, etc. Initially, though, we want to see you experiment, iterate, innovate, and share your ideas, you know, your iterations, your successes, and yeah, failures with the community. We want to understand. You want you to understand that not everybody will do the same thing, and not everybody will have great results. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you simply make a mess, and that's okay too. It's a big experiment. We not only welcome, but encourage input, constructive criticism, and suggestions to improve these products when they launch. And don't forget that it's okay to make a mess sometime. Beautiful things often come from it. The ongoing experimentation, the mental shifts that we've asked you to make, the norms of botanical-style aquarium practice that we've pushed here for a few years, all of these are going to come together to make the Urban Agapo experiment unique and enjoyable to a really wide variety of, of hobbyists. Stay tuned. It won't be long now. Stay excited. Stay brave. Stay curious, stay creative, stay innovative, stay patient, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you real soon on the next installment of The Tin.